So Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles mother or father must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, All foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of man come... Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we come to you briefly in this moment, and we we ask that our, our church would be a church that is indwelt by the Spirit, that we dramatically and fully would be a people who embrace the grace of Jesus so that we are the most humble, uh, the most patient, the most kind, being transformed by your Spirit. And we pray, Father, even this morning, as we see that we cannot even do that work on our own, that we need you, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I'm here to tell you very clearly that you must all stop washing your hands. You need to quit the hand washing. Please stop it. Now, you, you may think that I'm kidding. I'm partially, I'm, I'm serious. You, you wash in the morning. You, you wash your hands after and before breakfast and you wash after you swept the floor. Um, you, you, you dry your hands on a towel and then you realize the towel wasn't quite the cleanest one. It was an older one. And so then you rewash your hands again and again. Uh, we find hand sanitizer, hand wipes, 
anti-flu microbial soaps, lotions, and surfaces. You really all need to stop washing your hands. You think I'm crazy, but did you know that October 15th is Global Hand Washing Awareness Day? And I know, some of you, you're going to be right there along with them. Some of you will be washing and rewashing and celebrating October 15th. And here's the problem. Amidst our cleanliness-obsessed culture, research is showing that our hand-washing may be hurting in some ways more than helping. One study showed that the bacteria we're primarily killing in our hand-washing is the good flora and fauna that our bodies need. And so therefore we have things like increased antibiotic resistance. We have hormone disruption. We have increased issues and allergies. Uh, we, we have weaker immune systems. And so I say, yes, you need to stop washing your hands so much. And I really hate to do this. I hate to say this, but in this issue, I've got Jesus in my corner. That's sort of where this text goes. I mean, perhaps I'm stretching a bit, but I see a connection. And here's the connection today. We wash and we wash and we wash because we think that by washing our hands a lot, it, it, it actually connects with us being generally clean. Uh, And so too, the Pharisees who came from Jerusalem, they thought that by merely being clean on the outside, it would make them so inwardly. Uh, As we are concerned about being clean, not just on the outside, but inwardly, so too, they were not just physically, but also spiritually concerned with being clean outwardly and inwardly. And here's where the question comes for you this morning. What is it that really defiles a person? Now, to answer this uh, question of what really defiles someone, um, we'll look at this with a fourfold outline. I, I'd realized, um, as a caveat, I realized that this is the third Sunday in a row that I've had a fourfold outline. And I don't normally have these longer outlines, but bear with me for this third one. And Lord willing, next week will be a one or two point outline. But here we have this morning, the false problem of defilement followed by the false solution. And then we'll look at the real problem of defilement and conclude by looking at the real solution. So first this morning, we look at the false problem of defilement. One thing that all humans have very clearly in their minds is that our uncleanliness, both spiritually and physically, is an issue. It must be dealt with. Every, everyone from uh, Mormons to atheists to Jews to Christians All recognize there is a need to participate in weekly and daily rituals to keep ourselves adhering to some strict code of conduct. The way the Jews dealt with this was to take the written scripture that had come from Moses and to ask, how is it that we can ensure that we are obeying Moses? And so they added on the oral tradition, which came above the law of Moses and which later in the second century became the Mishnah. So you have the commandments of Moses in the Old Testament, but then you have a thousand pages worth of material that are built up on top of the law of Moses to try and help us obey Moses. Later, what was added on was even more so with the Talmud, which if you have the law of Moses, the Mishnah, and then you have commentaries, lots and lots of books that are commentating on the Mishnah, which is commentating on, we we love law. We, we love to detail all these things out. And we love to say, how far can I go? And where is that line in this situation, in that situation? For example, the Mishnah says, if a man goes into a shop 
And let's say you pull out your dollar. This has happened to some of you. You pull out your dollar and you hand it to the guy and he says, okay, you, you're, you'd like to buy this watermelon. Let me go back in the back here and I'll pull out the perfect watermelon for you because you're in the marketplace. And the missionary says, now, if for some reason, here's the watermelon, you get it and you say, thank you. And he says, whoa, 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 you haven't paid. You say, no, I gave you the dollar for the watermelon. And he just forgot that he had put it in the till. The Mishnah will give you all sorts of things about who then is supposed to declare an oath in that situation and who is responsible to do this, this, and this, and this so that they can obey the law of Moses. Laws and laws. Even here, Jesus and the disciples, the issue of hand washing. In the Old Testament, it was true. The priests were required, this was a law, to wash their hands in a, in, in a particular way. Um, but what happened was with the oral traditions that were coming along, Moses says, priests are to wash their hands, but all of the elders and the Pharisees and others, along with the oral tradition, elevated it so that everybody had to wash their hands in this particular way. Say, so, oh, well, if it's good for the priest, then it must be good for everybody. Everybody will now need to do this level. And what happened was, is that Jesus and the disciples draw a very tight line. And they say, as you and I should say, we will obey what God has written and told us. And we will not go out of our way to obey man's building or adding to the law on top of it. Why? Because traditions can be good, but they are not necessarily all good. And we'll see how this flushes out later. But the Pharisees in Jerusalem They are now four days journey away from where Jesus is up in the north. They hear that Jesus isn't washing his hands with his, and his disciples are not washing. So they take a four day journey up to, to, to the Galilean region just to address them here, just to confront them and say, how is it you think you can get away without washing your hands? Because in their minds, dirty hands equal dirty food and dirty food going inside you means you are defiled. You are sinful. So they say, Jesus, this is not fitting for those who are concerned with holiness, those who are concerned with righteousness, and Jesus. Isn't that what you are all about? Can't you see the glaring contradiction? What do they have here? The false problem is thinking that outward, external behaviors are the real issue. And so the connection that the Pharisees were saying is that if we can be outwardly clean, physically, then we can be inwardly clean, spiritually. And it is this type of thinking in that they are dead wrong. Since the Pharisees and many Jews had the problem wrong, they applied the wrong solution. So we're going from the, the, the false problem to the wrong solution for that problem. Here, Jesus will address the concern about their hand washing. But to their face, he wants to first tackle on their wrong-headed thinking. Now, if the Pharisees are at any level suggesting that he and his disciples are hypocrites... Because Jesus, you're concerned with holiness, but you're not being holy by washing your hands properly. Jesus retorts by saying, you want to see hypocrisy? Look at what you do. You ignore the clear and bold commandments come from Moses that are written in the law so that you can follow the higher traditions which negate Moses' law. This is what, look at verse 9 here where he says to them, and I love how Jesus puts this. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And then we find here, he's detailing out this issue of, of Corbin or Corban, um, how this would have worked. Um, 
in what he's detailing on here, this, the traditional way of how this would have happened is, let's pretend that my mom calls me and she says, look, I'm a little bit down on my luck this week. Uh, you know, I've had a couple extra bills roll in. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pay my electric bill. And then I say, oh, mom, you know, I'm, I'm worried about that too. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Okay. Okay. And then a couple days later, I see her driving up and she pulls up and I open up the curtains and I see she's coming in. She's got a sad look on her face. I'm going, oh no, that's right. The electric bill. And I think, what, think quick, think quick, think quick. Okay. Okay. Everything in my house, uh, my bank account, my kids, the dog, I don't care what it is. If it belongs to me, it's dedicated all of a sudden to God right now. God owns it all. Okay, good. She walks in, long face, and I say, hey, mom, what's what's going on? She says, well, you know, the electric bill issue, I could really use some help uh, just this once, and, and I'll be over this little hump if you could help me. And I say, oh, mom, you, you know my heart. You know my heart is to help you. You know, mom, that I love you, um, but there's one little problem. All the things I have, my bank account, my dog, my kids, uh, every item I own in my house has just been dedicated to God, so I can't give it to you. And my mom says, when did this happen? Oh, a while ago. I've dedicated it all to God. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. She gets in her car. She drives away. And then I say to myself, all right, God, if you want everything that has been dedicated to you to be used in the ways that I was already planning on using those funds, that's perfectly fine. And it was a way of skirting the commandment to love so that one would protect themselves in their financial position. You see how wrong-headed this type of solution is? As long as you go through the hocus-pocus outward things, then you are free from your inward filth. And friends, this has been our bent. This has been your issue, my issue forever. This is always the default way of the human heart is to go this direction. Back in Numbers 21, we, we read an interesting story about snakes. You're all aware of the fact that there are good snakes, there are bad snakes. Now, we tend to see a snake and we automatically assume it's bad. But you know, hey, there are certain snakes that are good. Certain snakes are used to catch rodents out here and they, and they keep the rodent population down. They, they play a role in the, the ecosphere, right? And, and so, snakes can be good. But you also know there are poisonous snakes. There are bad snakes. And, and Numbers 21 tells us about the... Jews who were going through the wilderness, God had just saved them. The the Jews were on their way in the midst of salvation, headed to the promised land, which should have taken just maybe a week or two's worth of travel. And they're stuck in this for 40 years. And in the middle of this salvation effort in which they begin to not trust their God, they grumble against him. In unbelief, they don't trust God. And so they say things like, God, we're so sick of this. We, we meant to get to the promised land right away. We wanted to be delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. But now we're wondering if it would have been better to be back with them. We're eating this horrible food. Life isn't great out here. And God begins to say, if you don't trust me and you don't really have faith in me, I'm going to, I'll show you something that you can grumble over. And, and he releases these poisonous snakes and the snakes come along. And they begin to bite some of the Jews and they die. And then they say, okay, Lord, we recognize we've been awful. We were putting our trust in ourselves. We haven't been faithful. We haven't been trusting you. And so God then gives them a a way out of this issue with the snake. So God tells Moses, take a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. And then if somebody gets bit by one of these, these snakes that are poisonous, just tell them, go look at the snake that's up on the pole and they will be healed. 
And so Moses does this and the people are healed. And eventually you know that that generation dies out as a younger generation then takes on the entrance of the promised land. Well, this snake, this bronze snake that was good, was good, eventually becomes bad. Because what happened was, I don't know who, somebody along the way took that bronze serpent, put it in their suitcase, marched around for the rest of the years that they're in the wilderness. And then when they entered into the promised land, they pulled open this briefcase and said, here's the bronze serpent, this snake that was good. Let us worship it. Let us bow down to it. Let us offer sacrifices to this bronze serpent. And what in tradition was a good thing, it had become a bad thing. This good snake had become bad. And King Hezekiah, recognizing that this was an issue, he took the bronze serpent and he broke it and dashed it to bits. Friends, people are susceptible to making anything that is good, including hand-washing, they're, they're susceptible to making it bad. It happens in all forms of, tradi- of tradition. When we take good things and we make them ultimate things. Anything you take something and you begin to worship it. You begin to say, I need this. And if I don't have this, it's a good snake. Probably a good snake that became bad. My first response is to looking at these sort of things and considering what we see here in Mark 7. I'm just not susceptible to these kinds of traditions. And yet the more I thought about it, I said, Thomas, what good snakes do you have that you've packed around in your briefcase and you let them become bad? Traditions are good. And yet they become law over time. I I would suppose most of our church here likes to celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a good thing. It's a good snake in a way. And yet, if we elevated Christmas to the status of what we see in Scripture that we're called to celebrate, well, then we would have turned a good snake into a bad snake. Scripture never says that we are to celebrate Christmas. There is no official law saying on December 25th, celebrate Christmas. We do have an official law that says you are to gather together and celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we will do even this morning. And so we have to be careful because it would be very easy of me to come along and say, well, imagine if I found out someone here in our congregation says, you know what? I just don't go through and celebrate all the Christmas stuff. And it would be easy for me to make a law and say, you don't celebrate Christmas. What's wrong with you? You have to celebrate. It's tradition. It's tradition. And what have I done? I've elevated my tradition to the level of God's law. And we can do this, friends, with so many things. Um, we, we can do this with our Bible translations. We can say, Hey, I, I noticed you don't read the King, King James version. What's wrong with you? I noticed you don't read the NASB. I read, I noticed you don't read the ESV. We can do this with various debatable doctrines, things that we allow to, that should be on the peripheral of our beliefs and we move them to the center. Uh, things such as our spiritual gifts. Things such as various interpretations of the end times. We can even let our musical worship, which is a good thing, become stamped as official dogma. It has to look like this in every church. Really? Well, even a great order of service, all these things, they will not cleanse us. Don't get me wrong. I think many of our traditions we have here are good. I think they're right. I'm encouraged by them. I think the Lord uses them. 
But we're going to get into trouble as a church when these sort of things become ultimate things. And you'll notice this if you go up to one of the leaders in the church and you say, Hey, hey, pastor, hey, elder, in the past, we did it this way. Uh, to which you wonder, is this a good snake that we did in the past that we're letting become possibly a bad snake now? We have to be careful with these things. Not always, but sometimes this can be the case. And many churches, these sort of bad, good snakes gone bad overtake and, and destroy the church. We can cling to the outward in hopes that it will make us inwardly clean by going through the motions. And I'm worried, even here this morning, that with a wrong heart, I could greet people. I could pray the right prayers. I could sing boldly with the songs. I could even get up here and preach a sermon. And yet inwardly not be really changed by the grace through faith in Christ. And I know the temptation, some of you here, who do not consider yourselves Christians. You'll, you'll look at this thing and go, hey, not my problem. This is not my issue. I don't have to worry about false religion. I don't have to worry about fake piety. Because I don't believe any of this stuff. So I'm not susceptible to these sort of laws and traditions. To which I would tell you, au contraire. You may be just as guilty as the Christians. In many ways, you have no idea. Ask yourself, what are the ways that you tell yourself, I'm an okay person? What are the ways that you will virtue signal and tell other people out there, I'm not, quote unquote, that bad because I fill in the blank, do this, and I do that. When your heart tells you and betrays the fact that you're not really doing it for them, you're really doing it for you. To look for the benefit, to be accepted by your peers. And so, friend, I would encourage you, just as I would encourage all the Christians in this room, to look deep down, look in your heart, and ask yourself the question, why is it that I do what I do? What are my true underlying motivations? Is it truly led out of a heart that has been changed and transformed by grace? Or is it somehow subtly to get the approval of men or to check the box and say, all right, I've done my good deed for the week or to say, I've adhered to the tradition. Therefore, everything is good with me. Do we tell ourselves that we're clean because of what we do on the outside while truly deep down inside we're not. So in attempts to be outwardly clean, they, they, these Pharisees here, they, they could remain inwardly filthy, filled with sin, filled with hate, filled with self-righteousness, with a continuous self-salvation effort. But the real issue Jesus wants to point to is their heart. And now we're going to turn and we're going to see, here's the real problem. The real problem. The real problem of defilement. And so I want to back up just quickly here to verses 6 and 7, where Jesus says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, of course, Isaiah 26.13 was not written to these Pharisees, but Jesus says the context is so similar that what was written to the people of old is the same thing and the same issues, just different year of what is being written to the Pharisees in this time. And so he applies these damning words to them. 
And, and Jesus brings up the issues of hand washing, the practice of dedication of, and korban. But underneath these words, we find the central issue for Jesus. Ignoring scripture for the varied opinions and tradition allows them to hold to this outward worship. And yet inwardly, they're worshiping everything but God. He, he states loudly here, pulling the trigger. He pulls the trigger, shooting it straight to their hearts. And in verse 14, where he says, hear me, all of you. Hear me, all of you, and understand. Because there must have been blatant misunderstanding of this. And he pulls the trigger. We're going to look at verse 20 here, where he said to them, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, if you haven't been able to to follow me on every twist and turn here, I hope you would listen to this key idea. What defiles you is you. Until you realize that your sin-filled heart is the issue you will never truly become a Christian. Christians begin with an understanding. It's not the surface issues that are my problem. I'm the problem. And if you begin there, this is where true healing can begin, friend. By beginning with the truth of who we are, deep down, outside of Christ. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? See how comprehensive this list really is. Nobody here escapes. Nobody gets out of this. I love this. Everybody ends up in trouble here. Uh, who here has not had one evil thought? What, what about sexual immorality? Sexual immorality, these two words, they really come from one word here uh, in the Greek, the, the pornea. Um, and this is where we get our modern word pornography from. Pornea would include any type of sexual activity outside the confines of being a married man and a married woman. So, yes, pornography. Yes, homosexuality. Yes, sex outside of marriage. And if anyone says Jesus didn't really address these issues, then you're not really being fair to the text. You're not really being honest with what Jesus is saying here. Because when he says pornea, he is including all of those things and then some. For Jesus elsewhere makes it very clear. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, maybe there are some of you here who that, that sexual immorality, that's just not your issue. And so you say, Hey, when you're talking about all that stuff, it's so good. I don't have to bother. I can say, not me. Well, maybe that issue is not as prevalent for you. But what about the issue then of pride? Maybe you were even saying to yourself here as I was discussing all this. Hey, it's those people. I know they're the ones with the problem. And yet that reveals to us the heart of pride. Martin Luther says, what really scares me is not the Pope in Rome, but the Pope himself. The one who's constantly going around dictating, they're the ones with the issues. They're the ones with the problems. They're the ones. It's me. I'm the one with the problem. This list here is so thorough that if I just said, everybody raise your hand, and then it wouldn't matter what two or three things here I read. I said, just put your hand down when I read your issue. I could say slander, foolishness, coveting. All hands would be down by the end of me just saying two or three of these things. This list is thorough enough that what is proceeding from the heart shoots us all dead in the heart. And so if we were honest with ourselves, we would see we are dead in our sins and our trespasses right here. 
And as much as we'd all like the source of these items to be external, Jesus says they're coming from the deep down heart. It's, it's not like we're talking here as though, you know, you're out walking in the luscious green grass, minding your own business, having a gay old time, and then you've stepped in the dung. And you're, oh, this is something outward and external, and I just need to wash it off. He says, no, the dung is coming from inward. And we're called then to, to stop washing our hands. Stop clinging, in other words, to what you think makes you inwardly clean and yet does not. And start reflecting. Where? Where is it that my true cleanliness comes from? And now we'll turn to our final section here and look at the real solution. The real solution is found here with this Syrophoenician woman's faith. I'm going to read verses 24 through 30. And as I read these verses, this is a bit cryptic, a bit cryptic, and we're going to come back to this. So bear with me as we go through here with these few verses. Um, from there, he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And as he entered a house, he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now, a few key pieces that you have to see in this passage. Well, first, this woman is a Gentile. She's not Jewish. Gentiles' friends were considered to be what? They're unclean. That's kind of the whole point. And she's a woman. So a woman who is unclean has come to Jesus, the clean one. And here, interestingly, after we've gotten through this entire discussion about what makes you clean, what makes you unclean, uh, then we, we come here to this woman who is unclean with a daughter who has an unclean spirit, which is why I wanted to, to bring in this passage um, to be connected with the previous scene. And we find here the application of what Jesus said previously is really coming to play. Uh, there's this talk about dogs, and, and remember that Gentiles being considered unclean, dogs were considered to be unclean. And so as sayings would go, those Gentile dogs, it would be a, a, a put down. It would be an insult to them. And so Jesus here, make no mistake, he's not insulting her. He's speaking in line with what the proverbs of the day, the proverbial sayings were. And so at this point, this woman who, who is not even born under the, under this king or his kingdom, she's not Jewish. She's not born in Israel. She's outside of the camp. She's unclean with a daughter who has an unclean spirit. And the question is, how will she get clean? How will she get clean? Look how her heart here is displayed. She acknowledges the king and in faith, she begs for salvation. Save my daughter from this demon. She is begging, begging, please do something. I know you're the source of life. Come clean the unclean. This scene, this picture, it reveals her heart. She's come in faith. She hasn't come and said, Jesus, I've got my stuff together now. I've become a Jew. 
I am now gone from being unclean to clean. She recognizes I'm unclean because in this case, Jesus is essentially saying through this parable with the dogs, I came to feed the children of Israel first. They're the ones I've come here to feed. And she outside the camp, unclean as a dog in this sense, has come and said, don't you know how this works, Jesus? When the children are fed at the table, the the dogs will come under and eat the crumbs. They'll take whatever they can get. If you're at my my table, this is exactly how it goes. The dog will weasel his way in, and if he can, he will take a bite of the sandwich. And And Jesus, recognizing here, recognizing, ah, here is a woman who is dis, dis, has this distinguished faith. She says, Jesus, if your table is a table that cleanses me, I don't care if I'm not supposed to be at that table. Make room for me at that table. She's saying, there is enough room. If you're the king of the universe, if you created all of it, and you're the source of salvation, there is room for me at your table. Make room and heal my daughter, Jesus. And he says, seeing her heart, seeing what she is doing, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. I think there are some here who wonder, is there room enough for me at the table? I think of myself and I'm unclean. Is there room for me to squeeze in and for God to cleanse me? You better believe that there is. And don't delay. Do not delay in telling Jesus, make room for me at your table. Her heart was not looking for a shortcut to be cleansed. She knew Jesus could cleanse her and her daughter. J.C. Ryle, he puts it very poignantly when he says, the first thing that we need in order to become Christians is what? It's a new heart. What is the sacrifice that God asks us to bring to him? A broken and contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? What's the circumcision of the heart? What is genuine obedience to obey from the heart? What is saving faith to believe with the heart? Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts through faith. In short, the the real solution is to engage the heart with the good news so that our hearts will be transformed by his grace. So that Christ will dwell in our hearts, making us clean always. And when we struggle with sin, when we see that we are unclean, this will always be our solution. It's not to go outwardly fixing, fixing it just through external means, but to go back to the heart. I was in a restaurant and I noticed this kid had this t-shirt on. And, and the kid's t-shirt said, expect nothing, earn everything. Now I'm assuming it was a, a t-shirt that was maybe sports related. Expect nothing, earn everything. Twitch, hey, if you're in sports, sure. But if you struggle with whether or not being a Christian is really for you, then maybe you need to view Christianity unlike this Pharisee, unlike these Pharisees. They all had one of these shirts on that said, when it comes to Jesus's faith, when it comes to the saving grace that is given to us, expect nothing, earn everything. And the gospel comes to you this morning and says, you have gained everything in Jesus and you have earned nothing. This woman, this Syrophoenician woman, she had one of those shirts on. And if you have, if, and if you'd have this king, imagine what he could do with your uncleanliness. 
the, the, the weight of the filth, the unmet expectations, the unfulfilled devotedness, the un, the, our clear failure, our blatant and obvious sin. Who are we kidding? All of us here are just like dogs who are tempted to turn good snakes into bad snakes. And God will at times allow those snakes to bite us so as to remind us we need to gaze upon the bronze serpent. Jesus says, if it's snakes you want, then it's snakes you will get. And we get that picture of the bronze serpent in John chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Friends, when our king died, it bought us life. It cleansed us. What has? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but gazing upon the Savior on the cross who's, who bled for us. I know the, the melody that accompanies these words. Maybe it's an older snake, but I, I, I think uh, it's still, these words are still good. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, what is it that defiles us? We do with our sin-ridden hearts. And what will cleanse us? Not our good works. Not our good deeds. Only Jesus Christ's atonement, His payment, and His blood and death. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you for giving us true, deep, cleansing forgiveness. Lord, we know that whatever weight is on our shoulders, we can walk out right now free of it all. That The heaviness of it all can be gone away from us. That we will not bear any say in our lives anymore because we have dined at your table. We have gleaned from you the good news of the gospel. We praise you for that and thank you this morning in Jesus name. Amen.